And then the third thing is to not be afraid to be yourself. Be completely yourself. Because there's a lot of us and we're all kind of saying similar things. There's very few people who are saying dramatically different things. But no one is saying the thing the way you're going to say it. And there's going to be people who resonate specifically with you for whatever reason. So I know there's a lot of practitioners who are just like amazing. They're fantastic practitioners, but they're not very open in their marketing with showing who they are as people. Hi, I'm Dr. Kim Basin, and welcome to the Chiropractor's A-Game. Let's get cracking. This podcast is all about helping chiropractors and other functional healthcare professionals to grow in mind, body, and business. This is where I'm going to be sharing my 35 years of experience, tips and strategies, as well as speaking to some of the leaders in our industry so that you have all that you need to not just survive, but thrive. And welcome, everybody. Today, I have my guest, Robin. Oh, my gosh, Robin, you are an amazing woman. Uh, this is only a year that I've known you, and I feel like, you know, we're like forever friends now. Robin, tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me about your practice. I am an integrative and functional dietitian, and my practice is mainly digestive health and also kind of mystery conditions. So I see a lot of people who've been around all of the different docs, all the different specialists, and really couldn't find resolution there. And I pick apart their case from an integrative and functional lens and try to help them allow their bodies to heal. So a lot of digestion and then, you know, things like fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, that kind of thing. We talk, we speak the same language and it's, it's, it's always so refreshing to have that. And we teach that gut microbiome class together. And we're on our five city tour this year. We were two cities down, three to go. And in my practice, uh, digestion is probably, you know, it's always the number one thing I have to work on to support when a patient comes in. Because for me, if I'm going to support them otherwise with something else and they can't digest it, then, yeah. you know, I, it's not going to do us any good. So digestion is really a, a key health. Talk about some of the digestive cases that you get. It's a mixed bag, really. A lot of people who just have like the typical IBS, which it's like BS, the IBS, it's BS. It doesn't mean anything. So people will kind of be like, oh yeah, you know, I'm bloating, constipated, diarrhea, alternate, their foods don't agree with me, can't figure it out. But the doctor told me I have IBS, so I guess that's just how it is. And I'm kind of like, no, no, it's, it really doesn't have to be. So a lot of those typical things. And then I also see a lot of people who have done the integrative functional thing already. And maybe things improved sometimes pretty significantly, but again, they can't find resolution. So they're coming to me to figure out what got missed. And so sometimes it's things like parasitic infection, because those are really hard to find. And sometimes it's things like mold exposure that they didn't know they had. And so like stuck in this place where they should be feeling better, they've done all of the appropriate things and actually got very good and appropriate care but there was a missing piece there. And so sometimes I'll help people find what that missing piece is. And I think that's really important because I think nowadays our medical world doesn't take the time to listen. And I think listening yeah. is probably the key. I think in my practice, just listening to the patient and, and acknowledging that you hear them 
is probably the stroke of, you know, having that patient go, oh my gosh, you, you get it, you understand. Yeah, when you believe in that. So and I think that's really uh, important. Let's say a SIBO case. I think you're my, the SIBO queen of everything. <laughs> um, so let's talk about SIBO. SIBO is, in, in my area, we get a lot of SIBO cases. And if I take care of one SIBO patient, then you get put on the Facebook page of all the SIBO patients in the area, and then they're all coming to the office. Right. So tell me about a typical SIBO patient you, that you see. I wonder if there's sort of like, it's, since it's so common, I have a hard time figuring out like, I mean, the common ground is up here, especially. Everybody's rushed. Everybody's stressed. It's not always easy to do the right thing as far as like healthy eating and trying to cook more at home. And a lot of moms, because they're so busy with kids or maybe their sleep is depleted, or they're stressed in general. And actually, a lot of the really young people are coming to me with some significant digestive symptoms. And so it's this kind of perpetual bloating. And sometimes it kind of comes and goes where you might wake up with a flat belly and then as soon as you start eating, you just get like distended and it stays that way through the rest of the day. And then for other people, it's just this like stagnant, stuck, poofed out abdomen. And what is troublesome is that there's a lot of people who are online, a lot of, I mean, I've seen gastros per personally who really poo-pooed the bloating and how distressing it was and how significant it was. And I see a lot of healthy looking people who are actually quite unwell. And it's this phenomenon of if you look healthy or you are an attractive person on the outside, you get dismissed a lot. And so there's this overall concept of like mystery illness or invisible illness that I work with a lot where it's kind of like on the outside, somebody looks really great. And then they tell you that they are bloating to the extent that at a certain point in the day, they look four to six months pregnant and it's not body dysmorphia and they're not exaggerating, but people get dismissed all the time. And that's really unfortunate. Yeah. I guess we should remind everybody SIBO is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So, yeah. I mean, we all throw those words out, you know, I'm like BDNF, NRF2, <laughs> and everybody's like going, what did she say? Well, I don't know what that is. So that is a big problem. I think for our practice, I see a lot of IBSC and IBSD. Mm -hmm. So they can either be constipated or they can have diarrhea with that. Down in Florida, not as much stress like I think you would have that I would think you would have, like you said, in New York. But I think that people just have a bad habit of, you know, standing in front of the microwave when it's cooking something for them and there's 30 seconds and they're saying, hurry. And they're trying to, you know, then they're eating on the run. And I think that's really causes a lot of dysbiosis. I watch people in a restaurant. I mean, they're on their phones and they're drinking water and they're washing their food down. And I think going back to basics, chewing your food 28 times and really masticating it and getting the hypothalamus to know that you even ate, you know, they're eating and not slowing down. In a practice, is it your own practice? Yeah. So I have my own private practice. And then I also work part-time at the Morrison Center, which is an integrative medicine practice in New York City. Oh, very cool. Really great group of people. So it's like kind of like the best of both worlds. Now you had health issues to start. Was this that kind of the, how you started your, oh, your, yeah. your mission? <laughs> Can you, you feel okay to talk about that? Yeah, definitely. Everything for me started after a head injury. When I look back, knowing everything that I know now, 
I had already been bitten by a tick and I probably already had maybe Lyme, maybe not, but definitely Bartonella. When I look back, I can see, I can remember that acute time where I was having panic attacks for no reason. Um, and it was really kind of wild, but it just wasn't on the radar then. And I got tested for Lyme and I came back negative. And I think I was supposed to do like the eight week follow-up blood test. And I just didn't because I didn't take it seriously, but like, whoa, what a mistake. But they weren't checking for a co-infection, so they wouldn't have caught anything anyway. So I get this concussion and it shifted. The hypothesis is from the first functional medicine doctor that I saw that head injury shifted some of my facial bones just slightly because after that I started to get recurrent sinus infections. So I saw a conventional doctor who was literally a drug dealer. And all she did was give me more antibiotics and more antibiotics. And I kept on getting these sinus infections, maybe one a month. And so I took antibiotics once a month constantly. And I remember asking her, you know, should I take a probiotic? Is there something that I can, like, why do I keep getting this? Like, is there something that I could do to shore up my immune system? And she literally shrugged. She had nothing. Now, I already had a degree in dietetics and I also had nothing to offer myself, but I knew it wasn't good. So all the antibiotics wiped up, wiped out my gut. And I started to get the most classic symptoms of SIBO. But more than that, the dysbiosis woke up some parasites that were in there. When I look back, I had all of these parasitic infection signs. My weight was dropping, not so much rapidly, but over the course of a year, I mean, I was hanging out in the low 90s as far as weight. And no one really seemed that concerned except for my gynecologist who was like, um, you're 94 pounds now. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm eating. I don't know what to tell you. But I went to see a gastro because I had all of the bloating. I told them that I was at the end of a day looked enormously pregnant, extremely distended, such that I was getting stretch marks on the sides of my abdomen from the poofing out and shrinking down and poofing out and shrinking down every day. And I was completely dismissed. And because I was so thin and looked outwardly healthy, they kind of mildly suggested that maybe I had an eating disorder and it was normal for thin people to bloat and that it was body dysmorphic of me to be complaining about this. But I was really unwell and I, my immune system stunk and it just progressively got worse and worse up until I went to, is it University of Arizona? Andrew Wiles group that integrated medicine. They had an annual conference for nutrition and it was in New York City. So I went and listened to this lecture that talked about leaky gut syndrome, liver, and how it all relates to the immune system. And I was like, oh, thank goodness. This is what's happening to me. And I spoke to the doctor who gave that lecture, and she was my first integrative physician. At the time, SIBO was not on anybody's radar. I think if any of us looked at my case from now, we'd be like, oh, yeah, SIBO. This is what's happened. And the chronology totally makes sense. But at the time, it just wasn't on anybody's radar. So it was this like, 
you know, here, take some betaine HCL, but that was too strong. So I got like all this reflux or here, try ultra clear brain new, but I couldn't digest it. So I got very bloated and it was a lot of trial and error, but that put me on the path. And since then, I can say that I have had pretty much every illness. I'm going to knock wood because not everyone, but I have experienced a lot of the imbalances and illnesses that I treat in my practice. So when a Lyme comes to me and they're like, oh, this exhaustion, you don't understand. And I'm kind of like, yeah, I've been there. It's pretty horrible, but you can come out of it. Like, And I think just knowing that I've been there and overcame it and it took a long time, but we know a lot more now than we did then. But you can heal from all of these things. You have to believe you can, and you have to follow your gut, and you have to find the right practitioners. You have to find the right partners in health. I don't think that every practitioner has to have every, have every malady that comes in their office. <sighs> the but, healing path. The but, healer's path. <laughs> yes, but I, I think it is important for that empathic approach. I just read a book called The War of Kindness, which really talked about how we lack empathy in our world. And I think just that being empathic yeah. that way, having experienced that and, and patience, when you say, I get it, I got it, just to watch the relief on their face. You know, yeah. at least they know they're in the right pathway, they're in the right place. The same thing with my patients. If I don't feel like it's somebody that I can manage, I find somebody like you that I can reach out to. I, we have all our colleagues that we can reach out to and say, mm -hmm. hey, I've got a patient out of my scope. You know, I'm, I don't do methylation. Don't do it. I don't even want to talk about it. Don't, don't ask me about it. <laughs> I have more things. I do better things with other things. I just refer out on that. So I think that's really important. Our practitioners out there that are either wanting to bring nutrition in, like your, your system of how you approach a patient or you know how you take a patient through. It's what you said before. The person's history will pretty much tell you everything you need to know. So you just need to watch out for all of the red flags that they say. Everything is a clue. And to get a really clear picture of the chronology of everything, that's what really helps too. So understand this started at this point in my life. Okay, well, what else was going on in that point of, in your life? Was it a stressful time of transition? Did you move? Was there a trauma? What else happened? And if they can remember, they can remember. Sometimes it, you're sort of like, on the third month and people are like, oh my gosh, I just remembered this one critical piece of information that helps to put all of the pieces together. So one is to ask really good questions. Um, sometimes that can be just off the cuff. Sometimes you work on a really good questionnaire form that you give people like an intake form, but get a really, really, really detailed history because they're going to tell you everything that you need to know. And then whatever testing you want to run really is to confirm what you think is going on based on the history. So that's the first piece. And then to meet people where they are. That's, I think, more important than anything else, because I've definitely had very well-meaning practitioners who don't do the coaching aspect, and they'll come in and tell the client, say it's like a therapist. Sometimes a therapist will refer her patients to us at the Marsden Center. And since that therapist knows a lot about nutrition and really believes in it and, and understands the connection with gut health and neurotransmitters and behavior and all that kind of thing, she wants them to like go from zero to perfect. 
And it's so stressful. And these are people who already are in crisis. And I just have to be like, chill, let them do like just the little bit so that they feel more confident that they can do more. So if you've got someone who's completely overwhelmed, I mean, you can start with something like, let's have you drink more water. How many, how many cups of water are you drinking? Oh, one a day. Let's, can we aim for like three or four cups of water a day and let that be it? How many vegetables are you eating per day? One on a good day? Okay. Can we do three? And here's what that looks like in the context of what you're already eating for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And you just kind of meet people where they are. Oh, lunch is McDonald's in the car and you're eating while you're driving. How about you're not driving? You eat in the parking lot and chew your food and taste it. How about that? People have been like, oh my God, you told your patient to go ahead and eat the salad from McDonald's. And I'm like, well, yeah, it's better than the fried chicken sandwich that she's already eating. She's in like kidney failure. So yeah, that's a step in the right direction. So people will come in with different levels of readiness, but a lot of people come in with idea that they want to tackle it all and they want you to give it, give them everything. They want to do it all and give them, and they can't do it. I promise you they can't do it. And they seem like they beg for it and you just, you can't let them, don't give them everything. Give them a couple of things to work on that one feels easy and then maybe the other two feel like a little bit of a stretch, but not too much. Because Sometimes, depending on the person, they'll internalize it as a failure and then they won't come back to you and then you haven't helped anyone. So I kind of leave people, especially with the first few appointments, of this is what we're working on for this one or two weeks. It's okay if it's not perfect. This is not a light switch. This is a spectrum and we're just taking a few steps. If you can't do it, it's okay. Just come back and we'll talk about why it was too difficult and we'll figure out a different way. And they're so relieved because the expectation is that I'm going to be judgmental of them or harshness. And that's their own inner critic. That's not me. So you kind of have to remove the judgment too of like, oh, they ate something that's bad and therefore they're bad. I think I underestimated that feeling for a long time in my practice And now I I more understand that that is something that people really struggle with, that like if they went for the office donut that one day, that it's like they feel all of this shame and then the shame spiral made them eat a pizza or like something crazy where, okay, let's call it an experiment. You've been gluten-free for three months and then you caved and had a piece of coffee cake. Well, what happened? Did you feel good after? Did you bloat? Did you have to run to the bathroom? Was it okay? And then you kind of reframe it of like, if it didn't go so badly this time, then look how far you came because that would have been a disaster in the beginning or it made them feel pretty terrible and now they listen to their body and treat their body with a little bit more respect and you know that coffee cake is really not a great option for you right now. And then the other thing is not everybody needs to be a nutrition coach. And if you don't love it and it doesn't light you up, and you just find it to be challenging and not that rewarding, hire a coach and let them take people through the baby steps that sometimes need to happen. Yeah. And I think it's a very valuable. And I know in my practice, sometimes I feel like I can't make it any more simple. I've been doing it long enough for, you know, almost 20 years now. 
And I mean, just, I keep peeling the layers off because Marianne will say when a patient comes out, they still look like a deer in headlights. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm going to go back. And then, you know, I just simplified and simplified. But I think the coaching aspect is super important. I mean, we as professionals need a coach. You know, I think our patients need that too from us. And if we're willing to send an email, hey, how are you doing? I haven't seen you for four weeks and you were supposed to be in in two, everything okay. Just reaching out and being able to give a little personalized. And I think that's the other thing that both of you know I do is, is really create a personalized opportunity for that patient. Nobody wants cookie cutter, you know, digestion program. Right. You can have cookie cutter digestive support, but when you're really working with a patient, it's got to be really geared toward those. I mean, we do a lot of biometrics so that that patient is just really going in as far as whatever they're taking is exclusively for them. And they Mm -hmm. love that. And they love that. Yeah, definitely. Oftentimes when I'm not really sure where to begin, I'll ask the person, so where do you want to begin? What do you feel ready to do? And a lot of times they know, or if you make a suggestion that's really important and they're not sure they can do it, then you can, this is sort of a strategy for um, uh, motivational interviewing where you can pose it back to them of like, well, what do you think you need to start? Or where's the biggest hurdle? Where do you anticipate the biggest hurdle to be? And then how might we overcome that? And a lot of times they have the idea and it might be something that you would have never thought of because you're not in their life. Exactly. Well, you and I could talk for days because, yeah. and we have, <laughs> kind of, sort of, all over the place. We are big foodies. So um, I've gotten experience. We had a nice time in Denver. That was some great food. That was great. Uh, yeah. I, I still am thinking about those meals. Those were great meals. Give us three things that, you know, for you as a practitioner that you feel would be helpful for practitioners to kind of either focus on or, you know, three things that they can either bring into their practice, you know, or some guidance. One of my things was going to say to always keep learning and networking, go to conferences, stay really curious, but also recognize that sometimes there's information overload. And I've taken periods of time where I was like, okay, I'm going to just marinate in all the things that I know because it's now getting overwhelming and I'm not going to learn anything new just yet because my brain is very full and I have not been able to implement and sift through all of these pieces that I learned. So there's almost seasons to it where, you know, you gain all of this knowledge and then you have to sit with it and say, okay, is this relevant to my people? And if it is, how can I implement it with them in a way that's really helpful and not that stressful? And then when you feel like you've got a really good handle on all of that, Then go back to the conferences, you know, maybe listen to some things online, pick a topic that really lights you up, or it seems to be in line with where your clientele is taking you at that moment. Like mold was not something that I decided to get into. It was just sort of like where I was taken by my clientele. That seemed to be the thing. So I had to learn the things. And then I got hit with mold and I had to really learn the things. Always stay open, always stay curious, but listen to yourself if you feel like you're at max capacity for information and now you're in a season where you just need to pull back and implement what you've already learned because it can get overwhelming. I'm also a really big fan of volunteering for stuff that connects you with other experts in your field or people who have complementary expertise. 
Because as you said before, you know, we can't all be experts in all things. And so it's nice to be, sometimes it's just a matter of calling someone up and saying, hey, I'm really stuck with this client. What do you think? And other times it's, this is really kind of outside of my realm. And so can you help this person manage X, Y, Z? And now you're a team. And so both of those things are really important because no one can be an expert in all things. There's definitely times where we need to refer. And then the third thing is to not be afraid to be yourself. Be completely yourself because there's a lot of us and we're all kind of saying similar things. There's very few people who are saying dramatically different things, but no one is saying the thing the way you're going to say it. And there's going to be people who resonate specifically with you for whatever reason. So I know there's a lot of practitioners who are just like, amazing. They're fantastic practitioners, but they're not very open in their marketing with showing who they are as people. And sometimes it's just sort of like goofing around or telling a joke or things like that, you know, on my social media. And my clients actually have told me that they really appreciate this, where it's not all business all the time, where sometimes I'll just post a funny meme, things that resonate. And my two main audiences are the general public, potential clients, and then other dietitians and practitioners. So it's kind of, it's okay to to just be unapologetically yourself. And I've, you know, had to learn the hard way. So nobody likes how we look on camera. And that's why <laughs> we're doing this podcast without a video. I mean, <laughs> we can see each other. But, you know, but I, I've been definitely stepping out of the box. And, you know, I started, my team challenged me to do 21 videos in 21 days. Oof. And it, you know, it's, it was tough. The first one was hard and it's gotten easier. Now I can just pop in there and just, I drive to work, think about what I want to say and, Sometimes I make a mistake. I don't care, you know, and sometimes yeah, my whatever. hair doesn't look good. I don't care, you know. I mean, it's the message. It's the message. But but I see the people that resonate with that, They because you're real. I don't have a fancy backdrop. I'm sitting in my car because it's quiet and it's like the perfect little stage for me, you know. So I, I absolutely agree. And I think it's hard for us to step outside our box because we are all saying the same thing. Right. 7-Elevens or, you know. Uh, racetracks or all that on different corners, but they all look at business because some people want to go to this one and some people want to go to that one. And same thing with practitioners. Maybe it's the color of the the gas station that attracts that one, or it's just the personality of the the doctor. I mean, you and I, we yeah. I, I, we we both are very like here. You get what you see, <laughs> <laughs> and you know it's it's not made up and it's real. And I think that's really super important. And I think if I would add one more thing to that too, I would be a niche, like we talked about earlier. You can't be a jack of all trades. You've right. got to be the master at something. You know. So I mean, I have you know, like three or four things that I really work on in my office. And then if I don't really feel that that's appropriate, that I I don't feel like I can support that patient, that's when I refer that patient out. And like you said, that makes a great opportunity to create a team. So I love that. And they're appreciative. I have a couple of friends who are really skilled at things like PCOS. And so one of my clients got diagnosed recently with PCOS and I was really straight up with her. I was like, to be honest, this is not my area. I can if you want to keep working together, I can help you, but I think you would be, get better faster if you worked with one of these two people. And she was so appreciative of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Well, Robin, I'm going to let you enjoy the rest of your Friday. 
Thank you so much for you. And I will see you in Santa Clarita in May. See you then. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. <laughs>